Welcome to the Wellness and Wanderlust podcast. We're here to demystify wellness and help you add a little adventure to your life. Tune in for a new episode every week where we'll hear from incredible guests and talk about ways to be happier and healthier in our new normal. I'm your host, Valerie Moses. Let's get started. Hey, hey, Wellness and Wanderlust listeners, welcome back to the show. For those of you who are new here, Wellness and Wanderlust is all about sharing practical tips for living our best lives. I can't believe we've been going strong for eight months already. I want to just say thank you to each and every one of you who are listening today. Whether you're new here or you've been listening since day one, I am so grateful to have such an incredible community of listeners and guests. And this week, we are getting into a highly requested topic. I really do listen to listener feedback. And one topic that came up quite a bit was creating healthy habits that stick. This is something that is a struggle for so many of us, myself included from time to time. So who better to talk about habits than the habit coach herself? So my guest for this week is Taylor Lawrence, the habit coach. She is a certified integrative health coach specializing in helping men and women improve their relationship with eating and exercise using simple habit creation techniques. A passionate professional, Taylor loves helping her clients make major lifestyle shifts through minor behavioral changes. I absolutely loved chatting with Taylor. So in this episode, she shares her practical tips for habit formation, especially when it comes to our overall wellness, and we really break it down with real-life examples. We talk about how to improve our relationships with food and body image, how to change our exercise habits and sleep habits, and how our social lives play into our habits and health as well. Taylor also answers some of our listeners' questions, and we talk about how to finally break that dependence we have on our screens, which I know is a big one for many of us. Now, before we dive into this episode, I just would like to thank our sponsor, Vivu. Vivu is an at-home wellness tracker that gives you personalized recommendations based on your hydration, ketones, pH levels, white blood cells, liver and kidney function, and more. So how it works, you download the free Vivu app, pee on one of the sticks provided, and scan it into the app to receive your tips based on health goals, dietary preferences, and more. The advice really is tailored to our individual needs, so I was able to include in my profile that I'm gluten-free, and the app is now never going to tell me to consume gluten. If I wanted to get into ketosis, the app would notate that and change up my parameters accordingly as well. And it overall is just a really cool tracker. And I've spoken about it a little bit on my social media and I've talked about my experience on the podcast as well. We actually had Vivu's founder, Mirai Typhoon, on episode 26 of the show if you'd like to learn more. Now, if you would like to try Vivu for yourself, listeners will get 30% off your purchase with code wellness30. I'm going to link all of that in the show notes so that you can find it. It's Vivu spelled V-I-V-O-O. Alrighty, friends, let's dive into this week's conversation with Taylor Lawrence. Hi, Taylor. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Hey, Valerie. Thanks so much for having me. It's so great to have you here. And the topic we're going to get into today has been such a widely requested topic from listeners. So before we dive in, why don't you tell us a little about yourself and your wellness journey? Absolutely. So I am a certified integrative health coach currently living in Virginia Beach. I coach people one-on-one on how to build habits to create healthy lifestyles through my work as the habit coach. And in terms of my wellness journey, growing up, food was definitely either a source of comfort or reward. So did you lose a soccer game? Let's go out for ice cream. Did you win a soccer game? Let's go out for ice cream. Um, And my parents were always dieting. I remember my mom cutting up her Slim Fast bars into tiny pieces. So I definitely lived in a very diet-centric household. Um, And I think that that informed kind of the way that I approached wellness in my adult life. Um, I started counting calories in high school. I definitely saw exercise as a means to lose weight and only lose weight. And then I would say post-college, life kind of slowed down a bit and it all caught up to me, the constant dieting, obsessing about exercise. I was working in a nine to five in a windowless office and I just started to feel crappy, for lack of a better term. I was bloated. I had these horrible headaches. I was tired all the time, super anxious. Um, I just didn't really know what the cause of it was. And it was actually a Netflix documentary that kind of flipped a switch in my brain. It was called Fed Up. I don't know if you've seen it. I would definitely recommend it to people, although I wouldn't say Netflix documentaries are the best resource for information. (laughs) But it just kind of started 
helping me to think in a different direction. Um, and that food is not just something to help us lose or gain weight, but it really is information for our body. So from there, I started researching, studying different diets, exercise routines, stress reduction techniques. Eventually, I became a certified health coach. And then that led me to opening my practice called the Habit Coach. So that's kind of my wellness journey at a glance. That is so cool. And I definitely can relate to growing up in that way where food, you know, after a football game, we would go out for pizza with the team and definitely seeing dieting as a very punishing activity and seeing, you know, kind of a negative look at food oftentimes. And so I think a lot of our listeners will definitely be able to relate to that story. Now, you are the habit coach. How exactly did that come about? And talk to me about the role that our habits have in our overall wellness. Yeah, absolutely. So as I was doing this research, I was, like I said, studying diet, exercise, stress, but my actions weren't changing as a result. So for example, I'd rather listen to an hour-long podcast about meditation than actually meditate for 10 minutes, um, which led me to wonder, why do we so often know what's best for us, but do the opposite. And what that led me to is the answer is habits. So I started reading books like The Power of Habit, Atomic Habits, Tiny Habits, and came to find out that actually 40% of our everyday life is just our habits, things that we do automatically and repeat in a given context. So from which shoe you put on first to how you make your coffee, you might not even realize it, but you're doing that in a sequential order every single day. So I work with my clients to kind of untangle their current routines and build new routines through habit and behavior change techniques. I think that's awesome. I think that our habits really do play a huge role into our overall day and whether we recognize that or not. And I guess I'll have to pay more attention to which shoe I put on first to see you know, if I'm in a habit with that. So I'm definitely curious about that. Yeah, it's funny, these tiny things that we don't even recognize. For sure. And I'm, I'm sure that I have plenty of other ones that are probably odd to other people and, you know, because everybody is unique. So I'm definitely going to be taking some inventory of that myself. And when it comes to forming these healthy habits, what are some small steps we can take to get started? I think there's so much information out there that it can be a little overwhelming, not really knowing what we should do first. Sure. So I think the first thing that people need to do is get really clear on what you want to achieve. So oftentimes people think, I just need to get more motivated, but what they really need is to get more clarity. So they think, for example, I want to exercise more, but don't know what that looks like. And there's a strategy that I like to use with my clients. It's called an implementation statement that makes this really clear when you're creating an action plan. So an example of an implementation statement is, I will behavior at time in location. So for example, if you want to start an exercise habit, an implementation st statement for that would be, I will jump rope for 10 minutes at 6am in my driveway. And if you write this down, it's actually been proven to increase the likelihood that you'll actually take that action. And then if you're consistent with this, say, jump rope habit for 10 minutes at 6am in this specific location, for example, your driveway, soon that time will become a trigger for that activity. And you'll just naturally kind of grab that jump rope at that time because that time and that place becomes a trigger for the desired action. I love that. I think I definitely need to do that with my workout routine as we get back from the pandemic and our routines in general are going to change so much. I think creating an implementation statement is something that we should all be doing. So I absolutely love that advice. Yeah. And I think the more specific, like I said, you can be the better. So for example, someone might say, okay, I know I want to work out tomorrow at 6am. If it's going to be a YouTube class, figure out exactly which YouTube class you want to take, figure out exactly where in your house you want to be, get that yoga mat set up, just make it as frictionless of a process as possible. That makes so much sense. And you hear oftentimes, you know, laying out your workout clothes in the morning so that you're more likely to, you know, put them on. Because I think once you put them on too, you're going to be more likely to go and do the thing that you were going to do. Definitely. So I think exercise is something that probably during the pandemic, a lot of people have kind of stepped back from our gyms have closed, or maybe we didn't feel as comfortable going if they were open. 
life is starting to go a little bit more back to normal, but whether people are going to go back to the gym or work out at home or do some kind of combination, I think making exercise a priority when you have other obligations out there, you know, work, maybe school for some of our listeners, and Mm -hmm. just now we're going to have social lives again. What tips do you have to make exercise, I guess, more of a priority and more of a habit? So I like to use um, James Clear's four laws of habit change to kind of create a framework for habits like this. So the four laws are make it obvious, make it easy, make it attractive, and make it satisfying. So we can try to apply that to this exercise, for example. Can you, like we said, take that yoga mat, put it in front of your TV as a reminder? How can we make this super obvious? Hang that jump rope on your doorknob so you can't leave your house without looking at it. Um, The second law, make it easy. Can you, if you feel comfortable going to a gym, go to a gym that's closer by? Can you start with just a 15-minute hit YouTube video? Have that video saved, bookmarked to your computer. Can you start by just walking out the door? If all of that seems a little bit overwhelming, make it super easy for yourself to just step outside, get some fresh air. And once you automate that first step, it definitely gets a lot easier. Um, And then the third law is make it attractive. So I like this technique called temptation bundling. So bundling something that you want to do with something that you need to do. For example, if you are watching your favorite show on the treadmill, you might not want to walk on the treadmill, but you love, I love Bravo. You love to watch Real Housewives on the treadmill. It can really make it a more attractive experience for you. Same goes with, say, walking with a friend, listening to your favorite podcast. And then the fourth law is make it satisfying. Can you track your progress? I find it really satisfying when I'm seeing, okay, I'm doing five more push-ups than I could have, say, a few months ago, or I'm lifting heavier weight, or I have better flexibility. Really paying attention to those progress points can make the activity of exercise a lot more satisfying. Those are some really great tips. And the temptation bundling, I'll definitely have to start pairing my 90-day fiance with my trips to the gym. Exactly, And I certainly do that with even just cleaning my apartment, sometimes I'll try to put something on either music or something that I really like to make the time go by a little bit better. If it's something that's not maybe inherently enjoyable to me or quite as enjoyable, but something I know I need to get done. And I think with exercise, when you're trying to get over that hurdle in the beginning, because I think it's always really hard to get started. Mm -hmm. And until it's that habit, it's not always that fun to put on the workout clothes and go to the gym, but you know, it's something that you're going to feel overall better. And I love what you said about tracking progress as well. Do you have a recommendation for how we can keep track of that? Do you recommend journaling or what recommendations do you have? Yeah, personally, I just journal it and write it down in a physical notebook, old school. Sometimes I'll put it in my notes app and just keep a record of, okay, I can do 10 push-ups consistently or I can lift X amount of weight and just being, again, really consistent with those progress points and continuing to refer to them over time. Um, Because I think oftentimes we forget where we started and we get frustrated with where we are at currently. So it's really helpful to reflect on how much you've improved. Now, on the flip side of wellness, we have food. And I think that's something that plays such a huge role in how we are feeling and operating on a day-to-day basis. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, whether our listeners are trying to lose weight or simply try to clean up their overall diet, What tips do you have to make that more of a habit? Because I think we have a lot of habits that we're not aware of sometimes when it comes to food and how we use food in our daily lives. Yeah, I like how you teed that up, Valerie, how we use food in our day-to-day life, right? So oftentimes when we're eating, we are solving for some sort of problem, right? I don't believe that there are such thing as a bad habit. If I refer to a bad habit, it's more in a traditional sense. Um, each habit is really solving an issue for us. For So for many people, snacking, um, eating kind of foods that might not serve us nutritionally is solving the problem of feeling bored or feeling stressed or unmotivated. So I think it's really important to kind of untangle the reason behind why we're eating and dive into another solution to solve that problem. So I also like to say that you can't necessarily break a habit, you can replace a habit. So if you're eating out of a feeling of loneliness, for example, you can't just stop eating and that loneliness issue goes away, you have to find another solution for it. So for the loneliness example, could you 
call a friend? Could you write a note? Could you do something to connect with another human being? So it's really important to bring awareness to the reasoning behind why we're doing something and trying to find a replacement that's more beneficial. And that's such a great example too, because I think for so many of us with the pandemic, I think loneliness and isolation are just so much worse than they ever have been for probably the majority, because in the past you could just go over to a friend's house or, you know, on a more extreme, even fly out to see someone. And the opportunities to do that have been a lot fewer and farther between, at least for now. And it's starting to change, but I think we've still developed some habits around that that can be a little unhealthy. And I think, yeah, to be able to call someone or go for a walk with someone or something like that is definitely a great example of how to replace it. Because I think we do often think, well, I can just stop eating whatever snacks, but you're right. It's you you need something then to fill that place at the same Mm -hmm. time. Yeah. And sometimes it's just kind of like a change of state. So I've read research on the impact of different temperatures. So if you're in your warm house, maybe get outside and get a breath of fresh air that can help to kind of serve that change that you need. Walking, moving, going from sitting to standing. There are a lot of just tiny things you can do in your current state that kind of snap you out of this automated response to safe food. I'm so glad you brought that up too. I find that during the work day, just getting out and going for a walk around my neighborhood, literally 10 minutes, I feel so much better. My brain is in a different place, even just as far as productivity goes and work goes, but also I'm less likely to go and grab a snack because that's a lot easier to do on autopilot. Absolutely. And I think it's just figuring out ways to automate that first step out the door. So how can we make it super easy for us to just walk outside? And once you get outside, Say you walk for five minutes, 10 minutes, whatever, you've taken the first step, which is oftentimes the hardest. Now, do you find that we're making any mistakes when it comes to creating healthy habits? Yeah, I think I touched on one of them with the clarity point that we aren't being clear enough with what we want to achieve. I think the other thing is, like we just talked about, people really focus on the habits they want to break instead of the habits they want to make. And oftentimes when we focus on the more beneficial habits, that kind of crowds out the not so beneficial habits, for example. So instead of saying, I really want to stop scrolling on TikTok late into the night, can we instead focus on, I really want to create a reading habit before bedtime or something that might be more beneficial. And then that reading time will naturally crowd out the time you spent on TikTok or watching Netflix or whatever it might be. And that's so funny that you bring up TikTok because we did have a listener write in and ask about the picking up your phone habit because I think that's something that a lot of us default to, whether you're sitting in a waiting room, you're laying in bed, you're maybe just bored. It's so easy to pick up the phone and scroll through whatever social media. So one of our listeners, Lindsay, was asking, what are some ways I can break up my pick up the phone and scroll habit? Sure. I think that that's a, definitely a common question that I come about myself. So we talked about the four laws of habit change. So make it easy, make it obvious, attractive, and satisfying. To break or replace a bad habit, you just do the inverse. So let's make it difficult, hidden, unattractive, unsatisfying. So let's break it down for this phone example or social media example. So what are ways that we can make it more difficult for us to stay on our phone? So you've probably heard you can set up tech limits. Um, You can delete apps on your phone, obviously. Um, Something that I'm trying just this week is segmenting out kind of the digital spaces according to device. So right now, our phone is our hub for everything. It is where we check emails. It's where we text people, listen to podcasts, scroll on social media. So could we separate that out? So right now, I am trying to just use my iPad for social media and use my phone for podcast texting and use my computer for email. So this is why we kind of have the specific environment for the specific action we want to take. And then naturally, I'm going to turn to my iPad, for example, when I want to look at social media, and it's not as easily accessible on my phone. Does that make sense? Yeah. And then the next one that I want to go through is make it hidden. So can you hide your phone? I don't think this is a a brilliant suggestion, but it really (laughs) does work. And even just having the presence of your phone, there have been studies that have shown that you actually smile less just having the presence of the phone there. You don't have to have it on or anything. It's just the existence of the phone makes us 
more prone to grabbing it and less prone to what we're actually doing in that moment. That's amazing. I had never heard that. Yeah, it's, it's pretty shocking. And then the third one was make it unattractive. So a tip that I like to implement myself is turning my phone to grayscale. Um, if you just Google how to do that iPhone grayscale, you'll find um, a how-to doc online. But basically, app creators spend millions of dollars to find the colors that you are most likely to click. And turning your phone to black and white makes those way less attractive kind of decreases the addictiveness of the apps and the beautiful, colorful photos. And it really does make a big difference. And then the last one is make it unsatisfying. So bringing awareness to the fact that you're spending three, four, five hours on your phone every day, check that screen time, become more accountable. Maybe you have a friend or a significant other that you can kind of share your screen time with. And again, like we were talking about with exercise, tracking your progress over time and seeing how you feel. That makes so much sense. And I think these are all things that are actually pretty easy to implement as long as we do them. Uh, Something that I like to do sometimes is I'll turn off the notifications for certain apps. So the apps are there, but if I'm not seeing my phone light up every five minutes, I'm way less likely to check it than I might, you know, if I see something is getting likes and then you fall into the trap of, is it getting enough likes? And I think that ties into our self-worth in a way that is probably not the healthiest as well. Oh, absolutely. And I think a lot of people look at their phone like, oh, I enjoy it. It's a nice way to de-stress. And in some ways it is, but in a lot of ways, it's a little bit of a stressor. Even if you see just one kind of upsetting or stressful story, that can really impact you and how you perceive the world. Absolutely. I think about social media and even which platforms I have a better experience within others. And I know that around the election, I would go on Twitter and I'm thinking, oh my goodness, everybody on both sides is blowing up my newsfeed. This is really not helping me. I already, I already know how I'm voting. And then to see, you know, very charged tweets, this was ultimately not going to be relieving my stress after work. And I kind of had to say goodbye to Twitter for a little while. And Mm -hmm. I think that sometimes it can be really fun. You're able to stay connected with people across the world and friends who have moved. And it's fun to look at memes and to learn new things from social media. But you can either end up going down a rabbit hole and losing the entire day and not getting stuff done that you'd like to do, or Mm -hmm. you're feeling bad about yourself because you know, everybody is showing their best life on social media and not the day-to-day of maybe the reality. And that can be difficult too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, comparison is the thief of all joy, right? I think that that's Mm -hmm. the the saying is, and and it's so true. Um, And it really kind of skews our view of the world, like we said. And even as it relates to body image, you think that everyone has this perfect body on social media. But if you actually picked up your head from your phone, you'd realize that the world is full of people with different shapes and sizes, and it's totally fine. So it's really important to bring awareness to those habits and just acknowledging that that's what's happening. How can I reduce the time? How do I feel after a long TikTok session, for example? Do I feel kind of icky? Maybe sit in that for a little bit and say, okay, this is really not serving me. What's another opportunity for me to feel better. Absolutely. And I was looking at, it wasn't a meme, but I saw a Facebook post today, so ironically on social media, about even just how different camera lenses, people are going to look a different way and it may be more flattering for their face, but it may make their body look larger or vice versa. And just basically to say that what you're seeing on social media and even professional photos is really not the reality of what the rest of the world sees in person or what you truly look like. And I think body image is something that probably the majority of listeners, I think the majority of people struggle with, Mm -hmm. at least at one point in our lives. How do we improve those relationships with our bodies and when it comes to food? Yeah, I think in terms of our relationship with our body, something that's helped me is really focusing on what my body can do rather than how it looks. So pre-pandemic days, I started doing CrossFit, and I found that that was really empowering. First, CrossFit gyms do not have any mirrors in their gym, which I, I found was really helpful for me. I was going to a traditional big box gym, and there are mirrors mm-hmm. everywhere, and I found myself 
nitpicking every little roll here or my arms. And it really distracted me from the amazing opportunity that I had to become stronger and to lift weights and improve my flexibility. And through CrossFit, I've been able to accomplish things that I never thought that I could. I can do a pull-up now. I can do a rope climb and just have a real appreciation for this opportunity to use my body because not all people have that opportunity. So I think doing that in a mirrorless space was really helpful for me. The opportunity to improve a relationship through food really begins with understanding the power that food has. So I think in my intro, I spoke to the fact that food is not just a way for us to increase or decrease our weight. It really is information for our body. So I really like to geek out about this nutrition stuff. So if I'm trying to say incorporate more greens, I like to do research into like the benefits of kale or peppers or something. And I say, okay, this isn't just a food that I'm forcing myself to eat to be skinnier, whatever it might be. It's actually improving my brain power, strengthening my immune system. Like it really is a powerful tool for us. And it's very empowering to know that we can use those foods to better ourselves. I love that. I I need to start doing that as well, just kind of researching because sometimes I'll make something and I know it's healthy, but I'm not really sure why. And to kind mm-hmm. of understand like, this is going to help me perform better at work. This is going to make my workouts. I'm going to feel way stronger than I have just because I'm fueling my body better. I'm going to have more energy through the day. If I actually understand that, it's way easier to take the time to make that than to grab some M&Ms or <laughs> order takeout that, you know, it may not even be an unhealthy takeout item, but still it's going to be more processed. It's not going to be the same thing as what I could have made at home that would be a lot healthier. And so I think knowing the reason why, aside from you know, my stomach is going to be flatter in the morning, I think really right. makes a difference. Yeah. And you spoke to getting takeout versus cooking at home. I think the act of cooking at home can be a really great experience as well. You feel accomplished. You can try new recipes. um, And I feel like you can really enjoy the food a little bit more knowing that it came from your kitchen. You tried something new. You cut up those ingredients and it makes it just a little bit more of a more enjoyable experience. Absolutely. And it's so funny. I had heard at the beginning of the pandemic with, you know, so many people that were baking and cooking that hadn't really done it before about how it really does incorporate possibly all of your senses because you're seeing, you might be hearing something taking place, but it definitely incorporates touch, smell, and taste Mm -hmm. and using all of our senses and using our brain in that different way. I think the stimuli, it's just, it it makes it that much more enjoyable, I think, in the long run. And I think it's just good for us to do it. I need to improve my cooking skills. Yeah, same. Yes. Um, Not sponsored, but I started using HelloFresh during the pandemic and I found it to be super helpful just learning how to properly make a sauce or how many minutes I should spend on the rice versus the meat. Because I think something that I struggle with is the timing of all these things. Like, Mm -hmm the veggies are freezing cold, but my potato isn't even cooked yet. And um, Mm -hmm. HelloFresh has this really cool app where you can set timers for different ingredients. And it really helps me with my timing and trying different recipes. So I would definitely recommend that to anyone who's interested in becoming a better cook. That's amazing. I'll definitely need to look into that because that's something I certainly struggle with. Even having my dad in town not that long ago, I was going to make this lentil casserole and just knowing how long it was going to take, you know, it's only actually 10 minutes to truly cook it, but all Mm. of the other steps that go into it, thankfully everything was in one pot. So they're all in the same temperature, but something that would have taken 10 minutes really took about an hour with all of the prep time and all of that. And so I think that can sometimes be a deterrent for us as far as cooking and healthy eating may go. Do you have a meal prep habit that you incorporate at this point? How, How do you make that a habit? Yeah, so I think that the more prepared you are for a healthy meal, the better. So again, just removing any friction in terms of you having a healthier snack. So we've we've all heard of maybe leaving a bowl of fruit on our table versus, say, a jar of cookies. So making it, again, obvious, the healthier option. Pre-cutting your veggies can be really helpful. So it's just quick and easy, grab and go. I have a friend who runs an Instagram account called Meal Prep on Fleek that I would definitely recommend people check out. She has really easy-to-make recipes. And I feel like that's sometimes hard to find on the internet. We've all seen that joke of 
let me tell you the story about how it was born when you're just looking for a recipe. Um, so I like how she really simplifies down the ingredients and the cooking techniques. You don't have to read someone's life story just to get to a recipe. The struggle is real with that. The struggle <laughs> is real. <laughs> I will definitely link that in the show notes because I think that's something that we can all benefit from. Now, as far as health and nutrition goes as well, I think sometimes we know what what we should be doing or quotation marks should, but it can be hard to implement. And, you know, maybe we start out doing the healthy thing, but over time we maybe start to self-sabotage. Why do we do that? Yeah, I love this question. And I think it has a lot to do with our identity. So what do I mean by that? Oftentimes, I have clients come to me and they say, Taylor, I am a nighttime eater. Not that I nighttime eat. I am a nighttime eater. It is who I am in my bones. So oftentimes, when we are trying to break or replace that habit, there's a little voice in our head saying, no, this is not who we are. We're a nighttime eater. We can't do that. But every time you stop, say, eating after 8 p.m., you're proving to yourself that you're not that nighttime eater anymore. Another example is I have people come to me and they say, oh, I'd love to run, but I'm not a runner. But then if you say start running once a week, twice a week, say, oh my gosh, I ran three times this week. Maybe I am a runner. Just taking these actions kind of prove a point to yourself and help you to kind of shift your own identity. And then self-sabotage is a little bit harder to come by because you aren't defaulting to that identity that you currently have or used to have, you're becoming the person that you want to become. That makes so much sense. I mean, I can even think of, I think for a lot of people too, thinking of themselves as I am a person who is always trying to lose weight. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And, and it hasn't worked before. How will it work this time? I'm a dieter. That's who I am. But again, just taking those little steps to become the person that you want to become at first, it's going to be filled with friction. Another example I can think of is I have a lot of people who go out to eat with their friends and they're like, I don't want to pick the healthier option. I get eye rolls when I pick a salad. But the more often that you make that healthier choice, the more your friend group and your tribe will identify as like, oh, there's Valerie. She's really health conscious. Of course, she's going to pick the salad. That's kind of who she is. But there is oftentimes some friction to begin with. So it's hard to overcome at first. I definitely have experienced that being both a picky eater, trying to be health conscious, and also having some food sensitivities. And so mm-hmm. I've always been the one, you know, especially with work lunches where there are people that you're not socializing with as much. So they may not see you in that kind of context as often. And you get a lot of comments about, wow, you know, you completely changed the thing that you ordered because, you know, I'll end up changing a couple of things and putting something on the side. But if I know it's going to work for me, then I have to kind of move past that. And other people will move past it as well. It's ultimately my body. Yeah. And I think it's spinning those choices in a positive way. So I feel like Mm -hmm. sometimes people approach and say, oh, I'm being good today. Mm -hmm. I can't do it. I can't have that cookie. But when you kind of come from a position of power and say, I'm all set. I feel so much better when I eat XYZ or drinking is another example. So I'm not going to drink tonight. I feel amazing in the morning when I just have seltzers at night or something, spinning it in a direction that's positive. So then the people around you don't feel like, oh, let's drag her out of this. She's really struggling. I want her to have fun. You're like, you know what? I'm having a great time. I'm going to feel amazing in the morning and I'm really happy with my decision. And people will sense that. You know, I wish we had this conversation, like I want to say about seven, eight years ago when I tried the whole 30 (laughs) for the first time. Oh, geez. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Doing the whole 30 and trying to go out to restaurants and, you know, that being a huge shift for me at the time, I hadn't been particularly health conscious before that, but had wanted to see if changing my eating would change the number of headaches I got. Unfortunately, I still do get headaches, but seeing if it would impact the way I was feeling overall. And I think not really knowing how to address the questions that would come up. So instead you would get the, oh no, you can live a little. And to really understand and be able to say, thank you, but I actually feel a lot better when I eat in this particular way and I don't feel that I'm missing out. But knowing how to frame that, because I think there there is something interesting with, I think, food and how the people around you may may react in the beginning to, you know, to dietary changes and things like that. 
Yeah, I think our, our tribe and our social circle has a huge influence on our behaviors because naturally we want to do what the tribe is doing. We want to be accepted by the group. So if you are, say, creating healthier habits in the form of a new diet, having people around you who disagree with that can be really challenging. So I definitely recommend that people find support, whether it's online or in person, with people who are embodying the habits that they want to embody in the future. And that can make the transition a lot easier and a lot less lonely. Do you have any online resources that you would recommend for that? Yeah, I mean, I'm a sucker for a Facebook group. Love creeping around in a good Facebook group. Um, And there's a Facebook group for anything and everything. You mentioned Whole30. There's communities for Whole30. There's communities for whatever kind of exercise routine that you like to participate in. You can find an online group for any passion that you might have. I highly recommend that as well. I think sometimes being in those groups, they give you really great ideas as well for if you're going through a particular struggle with doing the Whole30 or with a particular exercise, you can get real life experience from people who are going through it with you rather than simply the person that created the program or you get different perspectives from people who have experienced what you're experiencing. So I really love that. I think our tribe is huge for us. Yeah, absolutely. And I think once things open up, I love a group fitness class. I think that's a really great way to find a sense of community and an opportunity to cheer each other on. And when I was doing CrossFit, I definitely looked to go to the class because I got to see my friends and I got to be cheered on and feel accomplished. So kind of leveraging those social groups to, again, nudge us in the direction that we want to go. Definitely. Now, just kind of shifting gears, another area of wellness that we hear about a lot is establishing a morning routine, whether that's exercise in the morning, meditation, making an acai bowl. That's the one I always used to hear. But, you know, having having an established morning routine, but I think a lot of times it can feel next to impossible just to get out of bed in the morning. And so one of our listeners, Tess, was asking what the most effective way was for building a habit of getting up earlier. Yeah, so this is a great question. I would say that the main point here is that you need to make the desired habit, so waking up early, more attractive than the undesired habit, which is sleeping in late. So how do we do that? Again, making sure that the act of getting up early is as frictionless as possible. So have those workout clothes set up in front of your bed. I'm saying socks, underwear, sneakers, the whole thing. Be ready to go. Um, Prep your coffee the night before. Have your water ready. Do all this preparation the night before so that it's a seamless process to get out out of bed and say into the gym or out for a walk. Just make it really, really simple. And then the flip side of that is also make it undesirable to stay in bed, which is really hard to do. But I think the easiest way to do this is to keep your phone, if that's what you use for an alarm, outside of your room. So you have to get out of bed to turn off the alarm because staying in bed with that horrible alarm sounding off is not a great experience. So I would say when you're getting up to turn off the alarm, open the windows, open the shades, make sure that getting back into bed is just not as attractive anymore because it's light out or I already got up, I already have all of my workout clothes put out on the floor. Maybe you tell a friend, hey, I'd love to go for a walk with you in the morning. You don't want to text her and bail on the walk. So there are all these different things that you can do to make it undesirable to stay in bed and more desirable to get up and start the day. I can definitely relate to the accountability piece for that too, just being an obliger from Gretchen Rubin's Four Tendencies where Mm -hmm. I do very well with the outer accountability. And you're right, it's it's horrible to feel that you have to cancel. That would be a really great way to get yourself out of bed in the morning for sure. So I really love that advice. I think that if you can opt into the desired action when your motivation is really high – it makes it harder to opt out when the motivation is really low. So what do I mean by that? For a group fitness class, I used to do Orange Theory. I would sign up for a class when I was feeling really motivated. I was like, I'm going to crush it this week. And then when motivation was low and I really didn't want to go to the class, I didn't want to put in that effort to cancel the class, get charged a bunch of money. So it's really important to kind of set yourself up for success during those peak moments of motivation. So when motivation is low, 
it's a lot easier to get it done and a lot harder to opt out in that moment. I think that's really great advice. Once I get back to um, going to a gym in person, I think I will definitely take some of that into mind as I start to build my workout routine outside of the house for sure. Yeah. And there are um, there are apps like the Peloton app where you can schedule workouts in advance and just kind of put it on your calendar. If you feel comfortable walking outside again with a friend, if you even wanted to just like set up some sort of accountability, me and my friend used to text each other pictures of us doing our morning workout and just it's nice to know that someone else is there, even if they're not physically there, that they're working out with you from miles away. I love that. I'm definitely going to find a virtual workout buddy. Yeah. For sure. I, I hear about that a lot of times with productivity with work as well, especially for maybe freelancers who don't have the same exact set hours where they might team up with somebody else, even if they're across the country and just have a set time that they will plug in and work on stuff, whether it's together or that they will text each other. And I think, you know, having that accountability partner for whatever your goal is can make a huge difference. Yeah. And even just scheduling time, you use the example of a freelancer. I think oftentimes in our head, we make out a task to be a lot bigger than it actually is. So if you say, okay, I'm going to work on this X project for 20 minutes, literally set a time and be like, I'm just going to focus on this right now. And then I'm going to stop and move on because I feel like it's so easy to do a hundred things at once. And then you close your laptop and you're like, what the heck did I do today? I have no idea. So when you actually set up time to start and complete a task, it feels really good. And you realize that the task didn't take you as long as you would have thought it would. Um, Another Mm -hmm. example is I used to always put off making my bed. It seemed like the biggest pain. And once I timed myself and it took like 30 seconds, like why Mm -hmm. am I amping this up in my head? It literally takes 30 seconds So just like bringing awareness to the reality of the situation and trying not to overthink things. I love that. I I consider myself like the timer queen. I always have a timer. Oh, that's awesome. Yes. um, I'm pretty sure that I was undiagnosed ADHD (laughs) and I really have trouble sometimes like getting motivated for a task, but I can get hyper-focused when I need to. And so if I say like, I'm going to, you know, I set a timer for 15 minutes, it's amazing how much you can get done in that time. And even just before bed, you have all of the dishes piling up and everything could be a total mess. And I'll set the timer for 15 minutes just to clean up the kitchen. And you end up getting actually quite a bit accomplished from just 15, 20 minutes, depending on what you're putting in. And yeah, and I think it's just getting past the hurdle of starting. Yeah. Absolutely. Like we said, just automating that first step. Absolutely. Now you are the habit coach. So tell me a little bit about what services that you offer your clients to help them achieve their goals and to strengthen their habits. Yeah, happy to. So I like to say that I run a no pressure practice. Um, If you go to my website, habitcoach.org, I have transparent pricing. You can sign up for a 75 minute session or a 30 minute session. And during these sessions, we kind of untangle the stress in life one habit at a time. And again, bringing awareness to things that aren't serving you anymore and then creating better habits that kind of crowd out the not so great ones. Um, And I always recommend that I connect with someone first on a free 15-minute discovery call. So if you go to habitcoach.org slash free, you can sign up for one of those. And during that time, we just see if we're a good fit for each other. And if not, I have a big network of other coaches, physicians, dietitians that I can refer someone to. That's fantastic. So I'll be sure to link all of that in the show notes so our listeners can connect as well. Before I let you go, I would love to dive into some of the rapid fire questions we ask all our guests so that our listeners can get to know you a little bit better. Sounds great. Wonderful. So my first question is, what is your top wellness tip? Sure. So I love the strategy of habit stacking. Have you heard of that before? I'm not sure. That sounds familiar, but I could not tell you what that was. Yeah. So habit stacking is when there's kind of like a blank space in your day, how can you use it? So most of us hopefully shower every day. Can you say, do five squats while the shower warms up? And that way the sound of the shower running will be a trigger for you to get into this squat habit. Or I was doing this with push-ups. I really wanted to get better at push-ups. So whenever I set up my shower to start warming up, I would try to do five push-ups and I just had to hear the water and be like, okay, 
now it's time for me to do my little push-up exercise. And it doesn't take very long. Um, another thing that's pretty common is taking five deep breaths while you brew your morning coffee. And then the smell of the coffee will kind of trigger that sense of relaxation. Um, another thing that I like to do is stack, like say, something that you do every single morning with another habit on top of it. So we talked about making coffee. If you have a coffee every morning, can you immediately do something like call a friend or write a note if loneliness is something that you want to kind of cure or help yourself with? So there are definitely ways to just sneak in these tiny, tiny habits and stack them onto our current morning routine. I love that. And I think that incorporates multiple senses too, because you're having that smell or you're hearing something and it's triggering something else. I think that's really cool. Yeah, it's a favorite of mine and um, something that really resonated with people when they went to my webinar the other day, which I think was how you heard of um, my practice. So it's definitely something that people relate to. That's awesome. Now, where is your favorite travel destination? So when we could travel, uh, my fiance and I actually went to South Africa, which was Ooh. amazing. Um, we went on safari, we cage dived with sharks, we toured a winery. So I would absolutely love to do that again. It was incredible. All right. I'm adding that to my list. Yes, you should. That's amazing. Now, if you were an animal, what animal would you be and why? Ooh, this is a good question. So... I live in Virginia Beach, and there's actually a lot of dolphins here, oddly enough. And I always think that they seem really peaceful and happy. They actually have this little routine. Obviously, I love a routine. Um, Mm -hmm. There's an area of the beach that they call the Dolphin Highway, and we can see them like on the boardwalk in the mornings and the evenings or in this little park area. So it just seems like they live just like a very peaceful, happy life. Plus, I love the ocean, so I would have to say a dolphin. I love that. I think that they're amazing animals and they're they're so intelligent too. Yeah, absolutely. I've heard that they're one of the smartest animals. That's awesome. Now, if you could master a completely new skill, what would that be? That's a good question. I would have to say play the guitar. I'm a huge fan of music. I'm really missing concerts right now and I would love to be able to create some more music myself. I wish I could play pretty much anything. So I definitely can relate to that. Yeah, it's hard not being able to go to shows and not be able to enjoy performing arts or any of that, you know, the same way that we used to. Hopefully soon. Yeah, hopefully soon. And what is next for you on your bucket list? So I definitely want to travel more. I mentioned South Africa. I've also gone to Italy. I would love to explore maybe Spain, just travel the world a little bit. I feel like being restricted for this amount of time makes me really value the opportunity to get out and see different corners of the world. Definitely. I think that would be mine as well. Where do you want to go first? So, well, I guess my first one is very, you know, it's a very short trip. I'm definitely going to St. Pete. Nice. Um, Yeah. And so that's going to be fun and just to get out of my county. (laughs) But, you know, I was watching these videos the other day and it really made me want to go to Germany and, you know, be in the, be in the mountains and see the castles and all of that I think would be really incredible. In the U.S., I really want to do a road trip through Georgia. I think there's Mm. quite a bit to see. There's a um, Providence Canyon is supposed to be like the Grand Canyon of the South. So, you know, for a five hour drive to the Grand Canyon, but then for um, a real trip, I do want to go to Sedona as well and do you know, the Southwest, but honestly, there's so many places. Very cool. Yeah. I, I feel like there are so many places I need to see in the U S as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That was something I hadn't really thought about in college. I was so focused on, you know, can I study abroad and going around the world? And I still really do want to do that. But when I had friends, you know, after graduation who moved to other States and as Mm -hmm. I started to explore those other States, I'm like, wow, the U S is pretty diverse. There's so much to see and do. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, in terms of the U.S., I would love to check out Colorado. I've never been. I have a few friends that live out there. It just seems so beautiful and peaceful. Like you said, the mountains. So I think that that's top of my list for the U.S. Yeah, I need to go there as well. Really, the Southwest in general, I have not been. And I feel a calling to go at some point. I wanted to do Sedona for my 30th and do a little road trip around there. And It did not happen because of the pandemic, but hopefully, you know, in the next year or so, I can finally get out there. But 
yeah, there really is so much to see and do in the U.S. and and worldwide as well. You know, yeah. let's just get our frequent flyer and get on some planes and exactly, exactly see the world. They're piling up. Yeah, yeah definitely. Now, thank you so much for coming on and for sharing your story with listeners and sharing your expertise. I think that, you know, habit change is something we all want to implement and, you know, develop better habits in our overall lives and habits that serve us more. So I think that listeners will really benefit from this, but how can they find you and connect? Sure. So thank you so much for having me. This has been really fun. Um, They can connect with me on Instagram. I'm at The Habit Coach or visit my website, habitcoach.org. Wonderful. We'll link that in the show notes. And again, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Valerie. I don't know about you, but I learned a ton from this week's conversation. Taylor shares so many practical and actionable steps for how to create actual changes in our lives. And I just love all of the science and research behind all of that. And I love the real world examples that she provides because I think that really does make it a lot easier to visualize how we are going to accomplish the goal at hand. So I really enjoyed going through each of those steps with her through some of these examples that many of you sent in. So as someone who is struggling to get into a good morning routine, I really loved how she was able to walk us through that and how we can transition into better sleep habits. I'm someone who complains constantly about not having enough hours in the day, but I know that with a few small changes, I could really find some more pockets of time. So I so appreciate Taylor for coming on and for sharing her wisdom with us and all of these ways that we can create those habits that really stick for us and that serve us better than the habits we currently have. Now, I have linked all of Taylor's information in the show notes. I hope you do connect with her. And I've also included some of the resources that she shared in this episode. So be sure to check those out. Thank you, as always, for sharing your day with us at Wellness and Wanderlust. I am truly grateful to have you as a part of this community. And if you enjoyed this episode, one of the best ways that you can support the show is to leave a review on whatever app you're listening on. It helps other people to find the show. And of course, share it with a friend, tag me on whatever social media app that you're on, share the episode with whomever you think may benefit from it. And of course, if you have a topic that you would like to see, don't hesitate to email me at Valerie at wellnessandwanderlist.net or send me a DM on Instagram. I'm usually checking those and that is at wellness and wanderlust blog. I hope you have a wonderful day and I can't wait to see you next time.